When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome into another edition of the Five Reasons Podcast. My name is Chris Whittingham, joined as always by Ethan Skolnick. Thank you for finding the program, whether you're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Please do find us and find the entirety of the Five Reasons Sports Network. There is a ton of content that we are producing all the time on a variety of different sports, on culture, on all different kinds of stuff. want to obviously recommend the sports that are in season right now, uh, mainly Miami Heat Beat that is going uh, each and every week on the Miami Heat. They're currently above 500. They're 21 and 20. At the halfway point of the season, they'll continue to break down the hashtag Justice Better movement. Check out the uh, Swings and Mishes podcast on the MLB offseason, on the Marlins offseason, and what they're doing. Obviously, tons of great content from Cinco Rezonas as well in Spanish. Lots of great stuff to check out in and around the network. So please find all of it on Apple Podcasts and find us on Twitter at five reasons sports but Ethan want to start our week we usually do an episode on the football weekend and I guess we can touch on some of the Patriots game that is uh, that that is sort of tangentially related to this podcast we want to talk about the Dolphins narrowing their coaching search down to Brian Flores the linebackers coach and defensive play caller of the New England Patriots and I guess uh, throughout this whole process Ethan I've I've been on radio a few times and I've said that I've kind of been underwhelmed by it all that obviously the names that have come out are not, for me, upper echelon candidates or really there hasn't been a guy that established himself as the obvious guy. Maybe you could argue that Chris Richard was, but again, this is someone who doesn't even have the defensive coordinator title in Dallas. So I feel like you're talking yourself into candidates. Brian Flores has always, for me, felt like the most underwhelming one. Uh, would you agree with that? And, and, and what do you make of the fact that now the coaching search seems to be narrowed down on this guy? Yeah, I'm surprised. Um and I'm surprised about the way it played out. I mean, first, we want to give credit to Adam Beasley because he's been on this uh, for a couple of weeks where he was projecting yeah. Flores as the guy when everybody was going towards Richard. Now, we talked about Flores a little last week, and we, and we did some pros and cons on him. And, you know, the biggest pro for him is not where he's working. It's all the different areas he's worked in. That, that, mm. that to me, was the biggest pro, that, that you have a, a guy who has worked on the personnel side and I do think as a head coach, it is important to get some of that type of experience because as a head coach, you're, make, you're making decisions, but you have to make those decisions in the context of what else is out there and also how it affects the cap, how it affects future maneuvering. If you've worked on the personnel side, those are questions that you've had to answer and you've, you've been asked by people above you. And so I do think that that's valuable. Now, the Patriot thing. I'm trying to restrict myself on this one because I made a big con case for him about the fact that Patriot coaches, assistants, have not done well in other places. Bill O'Brien is the biggest success story, and he's not a huge success story. All of the others, whether it's Cornell or Weiss or Patricia so far or McDaniels, have been failures wherever they've gone as a head coach. But I'm trying to stop myself from doing that because I don't think it's fair to Brian Flores, right? Because in the same way that I, I don't think you can sort of say everyone who comes from a certain organization is going to be successful, you can't say everyone who's coming from a certain organization is not going to be successful either. I mean, he's his own man. He's obviously picked up some things. He's going to apply it differently than those other coaches have. And, and he doesn't so seem to have the, the air of superiority that the rest of them do. Right, at least not now, right? Like, yeah. so, uh, you know, before he becomes a head coach. Now, gays seem to have it from the very beginning, and then it got worse. Uh, it, it tends to, for guys when they become head coaches. Now, again, I always apply this in a lot of ways to let's look at Eric Spolster, right? Because Eric was roughly the same age when he got the head coaching job of the Heat, right? So Eric is now 48. 
Uh, he got that job in 2008. So the same age as Brian Flores is now. He also, like Brian Flores, you know, wore a lot of different hats, right? He was uh, a video coordinator. He was an assist, a backbench assistant on the staff. Then he was more of a lieutenant for Stan Van Gundy. So he, he had a number of different jobs in a very good organization, working under a Belichick-like figure in Riley. So actually, if you're going to draw comparisons here, maybe Spolster is the one to draw. And Eric did not come in with airs. I mean, the, and I knew Eric, right, because I'd covered him for 10 years. But, I mean, my first column with him about being head coach was – you know, about you too. Okay. Like, I mean, he was, he's, he was not, he was not the type of guy who came in with an attitude. He was human. Um, and Eric has remained human. I mean, yes, I was at the, uh, at the kids day, you know, the, the game between the Grizzlies and the heat over the weekend. And there, Eric has his newborn with him on the court. I mean, that's who Eric is, right? That's who we've gotten to know. Maybe that's who Brian Flores is. Maybe, you know, because look, Spolster is not Riley, right? Mm-hmm. And F- so Flores may not be Belichick. And so I, I do think that we have to separate here a little bit and say, okay, we're going to put the New England thing aside. We're going to say it's good that he came from a good organization because he knows how things should work, but it doesn't mean he's going to be great. And also because, you know, Romeo Cornell did not work as a head coach, but has worked as a coordinator since, it doesn't mean that he's going to be a failure either. So let's put that aside. My big question on this is not so much who they're choosing. It's the process with which they've chosen him, right? Mm-hmm. So I thought this was odd, Chris, like the way it came out on Friday. Now, I know you were, you were calling me InfoWars, okay, Alex Jones, <laughs> okay? But, but it was just strange. Like, I, I don't understand. You, had, you were interviewing, you were doing, conducting the last of your interviews with Rizzi and, for some reason, Dawa Loggins, right? Like, okay, which I guess is a, you know, a, a hat tip to his agent, Jimmy Sexton, because you're trying to get Tunsil to sign to a cheaper extension. So, but, but you had, and, and plus Jimmy Sexton owns the Dolphins and has for more than a day. <laughs> I mean, Gase, Parcells, Saban, over and over and over again. All right. But so you have those two interviews and like roughly like three hours after the interviews are done, there are five national reporters tweeting that Brian Flores is going to be the guy. So that seemed coordinated to me. So my question, Chris, is why? Why why do you not have a second round of interviews? Why do you leak if you're the ones leaking? Because clearly the Dolphins don't seem to mind that it's leaked, right? They haven't shot anything down. They, right. I know they sh- shoot things down when they're they're not happy about it, even if it's true at times. They, they, they will shoot it down. So they haven't shot it down. So why would you leak it Right after you conducted these other interviews, the first thing, it doesn't seem fair to the candidates you're interviewed. Second, there was a Josina Anderson report that Chris Richard had not been informed that he was not getting the job. So they hadn't told him. Um, and yet Breer's got it. Rappaport's got it. I think Schefter had it. Yep. It's getting out at all. To, and, and, you know, that's coming from one place that, that, that when that when stuff comes out all at the same time, it's all coming from one place. It's either the agent. And I don't know why Flores's people would, would leak it because that would piss off the Patriots. I mean, they're they're preparing for a playoff game. Yep. So I don't think it's their side. I don't think it's the Patriots. They have no interest in doing it. So I, I believe the Dolphins leaked it. Why? What, what's your explanation on that? Because I, I think that's an important question to ask because yep. it gets into how they decided on him and whether Chris Greer made this decision like before he even did the interviews. Because that, that's sort of what it feels like a little bit to me. I, I agree. I think, I think Adam Beasley's hunch was based off the fact that Chris Greer seems to really take a liking to Brian Flores and and the reporting from Albert Breer came out afterwards that these two guys have a relationship going back to owners meetings and that they've kind of always been admirers of each other and have wanted to work together and I think uh, to me I, I it just sort of felt like the Dolphins completed their their round of interviews and th- and they were done and they came to a conclusion and I, I I do think I do kind of find that curious now obviously you know for example the Bengals it, it gets out that Zach Taylor Taylor's going to be their head coach when he is still going to be coaching in the postseason and can't get hired yet either. So I just sort of assume that when these things get done, it gets out. And I think there are too many parties involved for it to not get out. I, I So are, are you basically, are you saying that you think Chris Greer is putting out there that we've come to the conclusion on Flores basically to not allow for anyone else, you know, with a, with the performance that they put in over the weekend. Like if the Cowboys had gone out but there are no, and, but there are no, and but shut there are no out other the Rams. Jobs, 
Right, but there are no other. But see, I, there's no. No, no what I'm saying is, is like you, you have it get out there that Flores is going to be the ne- the next head coach, so that mm-hmm. if Chris Richard's Cowboys go and shut out the Rams, you're not saying, well, we should we should uh, Richard now, and 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 like I, I think so. Is it sort of like getting out ahead of Eric Bieniemy having a great, uh, you know, if the if the Chiefs offense has a great performance or if the Cowboys defense has a great performance, you're not leaving it to a performance potentially uh, swaying your mind that no we're done we finished our process Flores is our guy and the world's going to know about it now well I, I mean your own mind is one thing I mean the fans you can't do anything about I mean right. if, if Chris Rossard's team went to the Super Bowl and I mean the fans were already calling for him look if the Chiefs win the Super Bowl and and if they blow out the Patriots this weekend I mean look what Damian Williams is doing right I mean you yeah. don't have Kareem Hunt which I thought could sink them and and they're still I mean they weren't as you know they weren't as dynamic through the air as they've been but if they beat the Patriots and they win the Super Bowl then some people are going to wonder why didn't Eric Bieniemy get a job in this cycle right and this is what we talked about a couple of weeks ago where the worst thing that can happen to coaches a lot of times is their teams going too far in the playoffs I, I guess I, I don't really understand the justification for getting it out now because one uh there's no competition for Brian Flores' services because, as you mentioned, Zach Taylor is filling the only other job that's available right now. Nobody else is firing a coach. The other six jobs have been filled. So for that perspective, I don't understand it. Um, the only thing I can think of is that Friday was embarrassing to them because, I mean, they were interviewing Dowell Loggins for their head coaching job. like, and, and they were getting on social media, which I know they're sensitive to. I mean, they're sensitive to stuff that comes out of accounts that have 9,000 followers, right? Okay, I, I imagine that probably they didn't like the look of that, the optics of it, particularly when it was pretty clear that it was a favor to an agent, which never looks great. And when you waited until, you know, to do it until the day that it was supposed to be Darren Rizzi's day, who a lot of fans, by the way, you know, wanted at the beginning of this process and the players wanted. Yeah. So, so maybe it was just an optics thing that it's like, we're going to change the news cycle. I mean, this is a very, I compare things to politics a lot. It was a Friday news dump. Like that's what, I mean, we see that in yeah. politics, right? Like whenever the White House wants to get out something now that, you know, Trump has done incredibly embarrassing, like it, what, what, it comes out at Friday at six o'clock. I mean, this has become a big Rachel Maddow joke on MSNBC. It's like, okay, wait for what happens on Friday at six o'clock. And it, I mean, it I mean we, we, we learned about this in the West Wing and in, in, you know, the yeah. year 2000, like like this has been a thing that's been going on in politics forever. And the reason it goes on uh, is because it, it's based on the old news cycle. Right. So right. the old news cycle is that when I worked in newspapers for all that time, that the Saturday newspaper is the one that nobody reads. Like I, we were always told if you have something good late in the week, save it for the Sunday paper. Don't don't burn it in the Saturday paper. And so this is an old concept, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, the current White House uses it more often because there's more bad news. But but you're right. It, it's, it's gone on for a long time. And so so basically, uh, you know, maybe it was that maybe it's OK, we've had a bad news. We're going to drop something here on a Friday night, let people digest it o- over the weekend. I just I find it I don't want to dwell too long out of it. I found it really odd. I, I just, yeah. it, you know, whenever something is put out, the Dolphins, this is a particular habit with the Dolphins, too. Um, where, you know, six reporters have something at the same time. You're like, okay. I mean, I, you know, it's uh, right. It's, it's one person and, you know, or, or, or one entity with the dolphins that's, that's leaking it. And and so clearly if, if it was them who leaked it, they saw some advantage in leaking it. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't dial it back at all. And so it is what it is. It's going to be Brian Flores. And I, I just, I'm still trying to sort of sort that out, but it does raise the, the larger question, like you said, whether, you know, Chris Greer just liked this guy from the very start, which is fine. I mean, it's his hire to make. I mean, Ross empowered him to make the hire. But if that's the case, then look, Chris Greer is on the clock, right? I mean, you know, whether or not that clock is ticking a little slower because, uh, you know, because Steve Ross has kind of moved the expectations back because now there's a feeling that they may, we're going to talk more about this, that they may wait for a quarterback, that they may sort of subtly tank this year. I want to get into the meaning of that word because I know Simon Clancy and three yards per carry have an issue with that word. But if the timeline has been pushed back a little bit, but still like there's always been this question with Chris Greer at every step of the Dolphins organization of what was he in charge of, right? Like that's the question you and I always ask, what was he in charge of? Like he's supposedly really talented, has a good eye for things. Everybody wants to keep him around. So he doesn't really make for 18 years and God knows how many regimes. Exactly. Okay. I mean, we talk about Brian Flores being in a good organization for a short period of time or whatever, long enough. Uh, 
Greer has been in a bad organization for a long period of time. Okay. And, and it's like, he's the one that doesn't get stink on him. All right. So now we're at this stage where there's no question, right? Chris Greer is the man. He is in charge. And now with this coaching hire, he is clearly in charge because if you don't do a second round of interviews, if you just do the first batch and you basically decide on the guy who I believe was their first interview, right? Didn't it yep. wasn't Flores first. I think so. Then, right. So, so you, you had Flores. This was the guy you identified. You interviewed all these other candidates. You waited until you to interview your popular in-house candidate until the very end. Okay. Or the last day. And then you leak it, which I believe they probably did on that Friday to some national reporters that this is going to be your guy. It's on you. I mean, this is the decision that Chris Greer is going to be judged on more than any other the single decision that he makes other than the quarterback that he and this coach identify. This is, this is number two. That is number one. And so that's why I want to put this in proper context because clearly the Dolphins have not run from this. This is the direction that they're going and you know, we'll see how it works out as far as Flores goes watching the game yesterday. And I got to admit, I was at a, uh, you know, sort of a brunch event in, uh, in Lauderdale. So I, I didn't catch it as much as I would like to while I was watching it. One thing I did see was multiple packages, a lot of blitz packages uh, from different places. I thought there were a couple of blitzes in the first half that really got Rivers off his game a little bit. There was one on a second and nine, not a down that we typically saw the, the Dolphins do a lot of blitzing from, particularly from this type of package. And so there were some interesting things because I've never watched the Patriots that way, Chris, right? Like you just right. you watch them. But I was watching the Patriots to sort of see, okay, who was coming on the field? Who was coming off the field? Where, where were they coming from uh, to get to the quarterback? And I was impressed with a lot of what I saw. I don't know it as well as the three yards per carry guys do. I just know it looked less vanilla than what I'm accustomed to watching with the Dolphins. Yeah, and I think, obviously, so much talk about what the Patriots offense did in that first half, scoring 35 points, and I think they had 24 first downs in the first half, which was just a ludicrous number. But to me, it's set up by their defense. If you look at the Chargers, the Chargers score in their opening possession to make it 7-7, it looked like it might have a shootout in their hands. And then the Chargers went three plays punt, seven plays punt, four plays punt, three plays punt. I mean, that sounds like a Dolphins drive chart uh, fr- from this past year. It was, uh, you know, a complete, you know, locking down. And then obviously the Chargers get some late points uh, in the fourth quarter. But really it was a defensive domination. And like you said, you saw things in that game that make you feel good. But I think ultimately, I, I, even understanding that in, you know, on, on a big stage that the Patriots defense played really well and looked like it was schemed really well and had those advantages – Again, to me, the thing, my initial take on the Flores hire is, what's the hook here? Because you look at all these teams around the league hiring offensive guys uh, to go and solve their quarterback issues and their offensive issues, and there's a premium placed. As you look right now at the teams that are left, uh, there are basically three quarterbacks coaches that, that you know that, that are in the final round with Andy mm-hmm. Reid, Sean Payton, and Sean McVay, and Bill Belichick, who's kind of the lone holdout as the defensive genius uh, that is that is you know staying late in the postseason. And I think a lot of teams are following the route of finding the next McVay, like hiring, you know, Freddie Kitchens, who did really well with Baker Mayfield, like hiring Cliff Kingsbury, like hiring Zach LaFleur, like hiring, uh, you know, all, all these different, is Zach Taylor, I mean, literally grabbing the quarterback's coach from McVay's team. All these different teams are, are hiring on offense. Even Adam Gase, uh, you know, the Jets are still holding on to the idea that he could do that for Sam Darnold. Thinking about their quarterbacks first and foremost as the thing that you're focusing on, and I, at least it's a strategy, right? If the Dolphins hire Brian Flores, what's the hook? It's not mm-hmm. really the team that he's coming from because, like you said, the narrative of Belichick assistance is a negative one. It's not realistically that he's going to be this defensive guru because he's only really been in charge of a defense for a year. Um, it's not really going to be that he, he he brings this sort of you know charismatic personality that's going to win the press conference and get you excited that way. Like If you're the Dolphins, you really only have a couple of opportunities to sell tickets this year, and yeah. that's you know change your quarterback and change your coach coach and have that combination be something that attracts the fan base and if basically what you're saying is we're hiring a guy that is not any kind of excitable in any way um, in terms of a resume in terms of a thing that he can fix in terms of whatever he's I don't think he's based off what I've seen on YouTube going to be someone who wins the press conference and then at quarterback, yeah, you're going to be getting rid of Ryan Tannehill, but it doesn't seem like, based off what we're hearing, that they're really going to go out and try and fix that issue this offseason. They're probably going to wait until next offseason. 
what's getting you excited about the Dolphins right now? And heading into 2019, why are you buying your 10-game season ticket package? Why are you, you know, investing every or every Sunday to sit in front of the television and watch this team when there just doesn't appear to be an obvious hook? And that would be my thing with the Flores hire. Even, you know, you can talk yourself into Chris Richard as, you know, a really fiery personality or Eric Bieniemy as, you know, the guy that's, you know, been in that Chiefs offense that was so good this past year. And maybe he can bring a little bit, uh, a little bit of that with him the ninth Belichick assistant that's getting a head coaching job in the NFL when, as you mentioned, none of the previous eight have really been that big of success stories and is not really this big personality. He's not really a defensive genius. He's just sort of a, a Patriots lifer that is now getting a chance to be a head coach. I just don't know what the hook is if you're a fan that wants to get excited about this. Never mind if you're a fan that obviously has been disillusioned by what the Dolphins have done for the last 10 to 15 years. If you want to be excited about it, how would you be? Well, that's a tough thing. And you mentioned uh, all the all the coaches. I mean, Bruce Arians is a quarterback guy, too. And he's you know, yeah. they basically are hiring him in Tampa to fix Jameis Winston. Uh, so, I mean, really, are we talking about every single other hire? Except for direction? Denver, except for Denver, Denver except, hiring except, Vic Fangio. Every everyone else went offense and quarterback. And and look, Denver's done that before, right, with Kubiak. Um, and, and they have Elway, so they might not feel it's necessary. Uh, so you're right. All of the others have gone that direction. I don't have a problem with them not going that direction. I mean, after all, they just tried that, right? And and sure. look, they tr- they tried it in 2007, too, with, with Camp Cameron. That didn't work either. So I, I don't... Tried I, it with Philbin, too, if you they, think they about tried, it. They tried it with Philbin. I mean, so, you know, this idea of... And I said this before, you know, the, the searches. This idea of categories is dangerous, right? Like, I... I because to me, you have to hire the best coach. Now, clearly, um, Greer believes this is the best coach. I, I'd be curious to know, and we're going to find out when they finally have this press conference, whenever it is, whenever the Patriots finally lose. Uh, I'm curious to find out what his primary reason for it is going to be, right? Because that's what you're getting at. Because for, for all of the other pressers, there was a reason, right? Like I, me- I remember the Bill Parcells presser where he was introducing Sperano and it was, we want a tough, smart, disciplined team. And like, you looked at Tony Sperano, tough and disciplined <laughs> immediately came to mind, right? Like, and the smart stuff a little bit too, but mostly the tough and the disciplined stuff. Okay. May rest in peace. Um, you know, with Philbin, you know, he was the guy who, you know, soaked up knowledge while working with Aaron Rodgers, kind of fraudulent. I don't, I still can't understand, how Steve Ross sat in a room with Joe Philbin and decided that was the guy we had to have, like that yeah. personality. Um, and so I don't trust him on this. And I said this before, and this is why the Harbaugh thing made some sense to me, because at least I've seen John Harbaugh as a head coach. Uh, you know, with Brian Flores, I, I don't know. I've seen some interviews. Um, he has a really interesting backstory. I mean, CK has highlighted some of this. I mean, he's he's a great success story. I think the players, a lot of the players will re- relate to that. I mean, he's not a guy who should be here based on his background and his upbringing and some of the stuff that he had to deal with. Um, and so I think that's admirable, you know, but unlike Tony Dungy, for instance, you know, he wasn't an elite player. Like Tony Dungy had that to fall back on, you know, in, in addition to having sort of a, you know, a calmer style. I mean, Tony Dungy was not Chris Richard, right? He was more Brian Flores than Chris Richard. Jim Caldwell, who we're going to talk about here, you know, they bring in more Tony Dungy than Chris Richard in terms of personality. So, you know, maybe the, I maybe just, you know, maybe it's, we want sort of a steady hand. I mean, if that, is that what Brian Flores is going to project? But I think what they're going to sell is what I said here early on. I think it's probably going to be this is a guy who knows how every part of an organization works. I, I think uh, that's not sexy. That's not going to sell tickets. Right. But but I, th- I think what it is, is I think Ross is looking uh, and Greer for a competence. I think the other thing that Ross is probably looking for is somebody who's symbiotic with his general manager, because that has been a problem. And partly of Ross's making, right? Like, and it, look, Heisinger did the same garbage. We, you know, this patch, 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 patch. And, and the GM, you know, never really is comfortable with a coach. And even the times that GMs were comfortable with a coach, like Spielman and Wanstead, they ended up flipping the roles. That went sour. Ireland and Sperano went sour, in part because Ross got on a plane chasing Jim Harbaugh and Ireland didn't tell Sperano. Like, there have been all these issues after the fact. But at least you're coming in now with two guys who seem, would, you know, be on the same page. I mean, it's clear Chris Greer and Brian Flores are friends. Like, yeah. this is, right? So I guess that's a good starting point. Um but I think what's going to matter more than anything else is the people that Brian Flores and the people around Brian Flores put around Brian Flores, right? I, so, so it's one thing if we're going to have a 37 year old 
uh, you know, head coach, okay, who has no experience really running anything. Um, and he's going to be he's going to be your head coach. He's going to run the entire operation other than what Chris Greer runs. Then you need competent people around him. I have been encouraged by the names they're mentioning for staff um, simply because these are people who've been head coaches. And, and I think that's going to be necessary. And I thought, again, back to the Spolster example, I thought it was necessary early on to have a Ron Rothstein on his staff. OK, it became less necessary after the fact. And then, you know, Eric kind of wanted his own staff and there were people he had developed. But initially, he, you know, with the heat. He, he needed a Ron Rothstein to help him. It was always Rothstein who was running down to tell him how many timeouts he had, right? Like in, in game <laughs> management. Remember that? I mean, yeah. Ronnie was, you know, okay. And and so I, I think that that matters. And so the conversation today about having a 62-year-old Jim Caldwell who has a, a plus 500 record as a head coach in two different stops, and one of the reasons his record wasn't better was because remember Manning, you know, that was the suck for luck year. Yeah. Right. And, and Caldwell got caught in that and he went two and 14 that year. I'm not saying you take it out, but if you take it out, I mean, he was more than 20 games over 500. And some of that was with Detroit, which has not been a perennial power. He did. He I mean, he had Matthew Stafford there, not Peyton Manning. So I, I think that bringing in a Jim Caldwell, I think uh, the former Wisconsin coach whose name I can never pronounce. Okay. Bielema, right. Uh, you know, the conversation about him. I think Mark Colombo, I know, you know, this one, and I agree with the three yards per carry guys about this. Like people were, were down, were deadpanning, you know, were killing the Mark Colombo move as a potential offensive line coach because he was awful here as a player. And he was, he was Dreadful. awful. Oh my God. But why does that matter? Like, I mean, right. I, you know, I mean, I, he, I actually, I think one of the best analysts on television right now is Dan Orlovsky. He was of, a terrible he, right, he of the fame of running out of the back of the end zone. Like, right. I, th I think he's really good at analyzing quarterback play on television for ESPN. Like, how many times do we see that it, it's not that there is not a relationship between your playing career and your coaching career? Like, it, it just like Mark Colombo can teach how to be an offensive lineman even having been a bad one here in Miami. He, by the way, he wasn't bad the entirety of his career. He was just no, especially no. bad at the end here in Miami. He was cooked by the time he got yeah. here. And, and so, yeah, right. So that shouldn't matter. But th there are some names that are interesting that have been discussed now on this staff. And, and I think if that's the plan, if, if Ross's idea here is, look, this is going to take a while, okay? It's going to take a while. I'm going to be as patient for it as I can. I want a young head coach who's got some energy. Uh, maybe he's not Mr. Charisma, but he's got at least energy to do the job. But I'm going to surround him with old hands. And I'm going to bring in these people to help guide him. Because, look, Adam Gase hired a garbage staff, okay? And one of the reasons I believe that Adam Gase hired, hired a garbage staff is because Adam Gase does not want other voices in the room that are going to challenge his. Dissenting okay? opinions. Right. Very Trumpian. He doesn't. Sorry, I did it again. I won't do that again. <laughs> on the podcast. He, he does. He doesn't. He doesn't want he didn't want dissenting opinion. OK. And so I, I think that's that's not for a head coach. Again, again, back to the Spolster example. Eric has always had other voices in there to tell him no on things. And, you know, I, and I think that's important. And, and so I think if that's the idea here that you're going to have, you know, a young head coach who is who understands how different parts of this work has been in a really good organization, but we're going to get him a Caldwell. We're going to get him, you know, some, some of these other names. Okay. Uh, you know, I, obviously we've got to see how, how the defense plays out. I'm assuming that rich, you know, that, that uh, I'm sorry, I did it again, that Flores is going to have a pretty big impact on how the defense plays. I think also from a, a scheme standpoint, it's going to be interesting. I mean, Patriots have run basically a hybrid three, four for a little while, uh, not a little while. I mean, that's a Belichick thing. I'm yep. curious to see, you know, how that's implemented. Um, but if there's one thing I would like a new head coach to take from New England, if they're going to take something, it's that Bill Belichick has had 19, 18 or 19 completely different teams over the course of this run. And he has coached to the talents of each team. He had Randy Moss and it was bombs away. Yesterday, he's got Sony Michelle, okay, and a running game and, a, and an offensive line that has been better at run blocking this year. And they ran the whole, you know, they ran the hell all over uh, Los Angeles. And, and that is something, instead of us hearing from a head coach, like we heard from with Adam Gase, he needs his players, right? I need my players. And if I, if I don't have Albert Wilson, okay, and no disrespect to Albert Wilson, he was great this year, but if I don't have Albert Wilson, the offense, I, I don't have a play for third and five, okay? Like, get out of here with that bull. All right. They need a head coach who's going to take what he has, which may not be great for a little while and make it work. 
And so I do think this press conference matters, Chris. I don't think it matters like an Al Golden press conference mattered, like getting people energized and all that. I just think it matters that like the guy looks competent and he knows what his plan is. And, and so we'll see how he prepares and, and handles that. But it's not going to be sexy. It's not going to sell a bunch of tickets. And Ross is just going to have to deal with that for a year or two because I, I think it's going to be – I think the crowds are going to be pretty thin for a little while. We'll get to what I find to be the two most interesting parts about this hiring what the Dolphins are doing right now. But first, a quick break. I want to introduce you to one of the great sponsors of the Five Reasons Sports Network, and that is Brunt Insurance, where you can find all of your protection under one roof. They offer home, auto, commercial – and life insurance, and they're licensed to write insurance for the entire state of Florida. That's Pensacola all the way to the Keys. They've got multiple carriers for all the product lines. Ensure you're paying the lowest rate in your area. And I can speak to this personally because I sent Greg Brunt all of my insurance policies that I had with other companies. He came back to me. He said, well, one of them, you're doing okay, so just keep that one where it is. But I had one for a condo, and I had one for my cars. And he said, in both cases, I could be doing better. He saved me 700 Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. $100. Took one phone call, 15 minutes. I don't want to use 15 minutes because somebody else uses that. It took 14 minutes, and he got all of that stuff taken care of uh, for me. So check out bruntinsurance.com. That's bruntinsurance.com. Greg's also a proud sponsor of the Homes for Heroes program. That means if you're a first responder, teacher, military or healthcare professional, you'll get a special discount from bruntinsurance.com. Here's the phone number if you prefer to do that, 954-589-2204. And today's episode of the 5 Reasons Podcast is brought to you by Doral Toyota, which is one of our great partners and, like us, is pure South Florida. That's Doral Toyota, where you can find all your favorite Toyota models. Whether you're looking for a new, used, or certified pre-owned vehicle, Doral Toyota is located at 9775 Northwest 12th Street, just a few blocks from International and Dolphin Malls. Experience the Doral difference, which means four years complimentary maintenance and roadside assistance on all new vehicles. In-house financing is available for credit-related issues. Also, if you mention five reasons when you call 305-680-1129 or come in the dealership, you will work with a dedicated manager, not a salesman. Unlike other dealers, Doral Toyota prides itself on an honest and transparent buying process. That's Doral Toyota, DoralToyota.com, or stop in at 9775 Northwest 12th Street. Vamos, let's go, Doral Toyota. All right, so for me, the two things that I find most fascinating about what the Dolphins are doing right now, uh, I, I want to start with really the fact that the Dolphins are now kind of living up to what Stephen Ross has done with some of his actions with, you know, starting Rise, which is a, a, a an organization that's meant to, uh, you know, take on some social justice causes. He's kind of been, I would say, probably the most woke of the owners, even if he's occasionally put his foot in his mouth uh, surrounding the national anthem controversy. And the Dolphins were kind of, you know, left to be hung out to dry uh, with the national anthem policy ahead of this season. But that uh, Stephen Ross, I feel like, is the dissenting, uh, the dissenting owner in terms of not really being down with the old school away the way that LeBron James characterized the owners I think fairly and now has a minority the only minority in charge of its football operations that uh, that minority Chris Greer uh, has hired another minority coming over from the Buffalo organization to be his assistant GM and then they're going to hire another minority head coach uh, whether you know I the the question about what exactly what race what ethnicity it doesn't matter he's 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 an ethnic uh, he's he's a son of Honduran immigrants who was born in New York he is he is a minority, and then you mentioned Jim Caldwell as well, kind of being you know his sort of chief associate head coach, and that kind of being uh, a, a major part of the identity of his organization, and the fact that now he's got a bunch of minorities running this thing, both in terms of uh, front office and as your head coach. I find it fascinating that Stephen Ross has kind of backed up 
what he's been, you know, doing in other areas and is now really put, you know, empowering black people, empowering, in Brian Flores' case, Hispanic people to be in charge of this Dolphins organization when it seems like this offseason was really the NFL going in the opposite direction with guys like Marvin Lewis and Todd Bowles getting hired and all these white offensive geniuses being in charge of organizations now. I, I think it's fascinating that Ross is going not only in the other direction, but in this direction, period. Yeah, especially because I think that Steve Ross hiccuped a little bit on the way here. Um, so, I, look, I've always given him tremendous credit for Rise, and I do believe he believes in it. Um, but he handled the Kaepernick uh, situation, particularly the the kneeling situation, poorly. And, and we talked about this before the season. I mean, he was – the Dolphins, in, in part, they got bad PR that wasn't deserved because they were the ones that the letter happened to leak out from them, right, instead of other teams that were doing the same thing. But they, they – look, he didn't handle that well, okay? I mean, he was for it before he was against it, before he was for it, before he was against it was all over the place um you know his most sort of redeeming players in the community happen to be some of the ones who kneel particularly uh kenny stills and yet it never really felt like ross was backing him the way that he should be you know with with some of the comments that that came out it seemed like you know ross believes in one thing but he's afraid of alienating his buddy up in uh you know dc okay and so uh, that's been troubling to me um because I would like to believe we're rooting for the Steve Ross that is behind Rise and not the Steve Ross that, you know, is, is uh, you know, is basically, you know, al- aligned with other owners and the president against NFL players. Um, and so I- I'm, I'm happy about this. Um, I do think it matters. I, I get whenever I-, I post this stuff on the Five Reasons Sports Twitter account, because I did note that today that the Dolphins would have, you know, four you know, people of color in high level positions, two on the executive side and two in the coaching side at minimum. And we're also talking about the potential of trading up for a black quarterback, potentially, and Kyler Murray uh, and and other things that they may end up doing. Whenever I put that stuff on there, I get about 90% of people who agree with it. And I get 10% who either disagree with it or like, I just want the coach to win. I don't care what color he is. I agree with that on principle. Ultimately, that's where we want to get to, right, Chris? Like where it doesn't matter. Uh, and, and that's, and where we don't have to bring it up, but you do have to bring it up in a year. And Marvin Lewis is the exception here. You, you mentioned Marvin Lewis. I mean, he had 15 years. Okay. Right. So, let, all right. But, but when you look at Steve Wilkes, when you look at Todd Bowles, when you look at, uh, you know, what happened, there were five, I believe five black coaches that were fired. Um, and then you look at, you know, who gets rehired. Okay. So Adam Gase, okay. Yeah. Uh, who, whose record is, is no better, uh, than some of those others. Okay. Vance uh, Joseph's you know, only given two years. Vance Joseph given two years. Cliff Kingsbury, as you mentioned, I mean, was a failure as a head coach in, in college. I, I understand why Arizona did that, but again, was a failure as a head coach in college. Okay. In terms of record. Um, and so, and then, and he's getting, you know, we, we were talking about, could he be a, an offensive coordinator in the pros? And then he gets a head job. Okay. Um, so I, you know, I do think the NFL has a problem. Um, and so I think the fact that Steve Ross has, I don't I don't even know that Steve Ross has pushed for this. I just think he's allowed it to happen. Right. And so to me, that's uh, that's commendable enough because there are a lot of owners who have not. And I think what it shows you is Chris Greer is now the only African-American general manager in the NFL. And the big problem about getting, you know, more black coaches, okay, more black executives have been that there is not one already. Right. So if we don't have black owners in the NFL, we do in the NBA. Okay. We don't in the NFL. So if, if you have a situation where you don't have black owners and you then they don't hire black executives, then they're not going to hire black coaches. And it's not necessarily because every white executive is a racist. I'm not saying that. I'm saying you hire who you know. You hire who's in your circle. And typically, white executives are going to – and I saw this in the NFL. And look, I, I want to speak to this too. NFL locker rooms are different than any other locker room. They're different. They're separated by position group, Okay. Uh, in most cases, the Dolphins have mixed it in recent years. When I was covering them for years, it was always the offensive lineman was on one side, and you knew that because that's where the country music was. Okay, <laughs> I'm serious. The country yeah. music and the Metallica. Okay, <laughs> then you that, right. Then you went back to the DB side, and that's where the hip hop was. Okay, and then you went to the offensive line, uh, not the offensive line, the, the D line. You might hear a little bit more R and B. Okay, but you you were get it. Okay, but this is what you got. And when you saw who was hanging out on the weekends, the fishing trips with the quarterbacks, with the fullbacks, with the offensive linemen, right? And the other activities, okay, were the DBs with the linebackers. NFL locker rooms are split by race in large degree, 
And, and it's always been that way. Now, baseball clubhouses are split, too, but they're split by language, which tends to be, you know, turn into, you know, a, you know, sort of a race or ethnicity thing now, especially you have so few black players uh, that they're, they're basically split by, uh, you know, they're basically split by language. But so so that's the way NFL, the NFL works. And so if you have, you know, sort of more of one group that's promoted, then ultimately when they're you know, 10, 15 years down the line, they're going to reach out to the people that were their buddies when they were playing. Okay. That they still know that are still involved in the game. And so that's been the big problem. And so I give Steve Ross credit for the first move, which was identifying Chris Greer as somebody that he wanted to top his organization and then allowing Chris Greer to pick people he knew that probably would not get a real good look Okay, from another executive. It doesn't mean I, I want to twist this so that it, it doesn't come out, you know, the way that some people want it to come out. It doesn't mean that Chris Greer is only going to hire people who are African American or Hispanic or minorities, uh, as we say. It just means he's going to give them a, a longer look, okay, than a white executive who may not be racist by any means, yeah. but just doesn't know where to find you know, that type of person because he hasn't typically associated in that particular circle. And so that's a distinction I want to make. And so I think it's good. Um, I also think one other thing I want to add on this, I do think it matters to a certain degree. I do think it can be beneficial. It doesn't mean that black coaches are better than white coaches. Okay. But there is something, and I saw this firsthand in the NBA, there is something to someone understanding your experience. There is. And in talking to a lot of players in the NBA, which is more heavily African-American, obviously, than even the NFL is, I think having a black coach has mattered at times. I think having a Doc Rivers, okay, in charge of what could have been a sort of a tumultuous team in Boston, I, I do think it matters. It doesn't make one Having him race. in charge of the Donalds when Donald Sterling Donald was going Sterling's on. Donald yeah. situation was critical. I, I don't think it makes one race better than the other. This is where everybody gets caught up, and then you have sort of the white victimization thing, and we just go a direction we shouldn't go. I just, I just think in certain sports, it's just natural, okay? It's natural that LeBron James, all right, who had a certain type of experience growing up, okay, that a lot of other black athletes can relate to from the, the places that they came from also. And to have, you know, a black head coach, I think has mattered to LeBron at times. It doesn't mean you always listen to Ty Lue, okay, or Mike Brown, or Paul okay, Silas. or Paul Silas, but I do think that it has mattered to a degree, and I do think that it was, and I, I can speak to this firsthand because I know LeBron. LeBron's not racist, no matter what anybody says, but I do think it was something that, say, an Eric Spolster had to cross over a little bit, okay, that necessarily a black coach would not have to do. I do think it was difficult for David Blatt, for instance, and I was there for that year, that David Blatt comes from a totally different experience than LeBron James. You cannot be more dissimilar, okay, in terms of even within where they basketball. Come from. Even within basketball, where they okay, international, okay, you know, white, Jewish, all the rest of it. Okay, and again, I'm Jewish. I had a great experience covering LeBron James, and and you know, a very good personal relationship. So it's not that he had an issue with Jewish people. Okay, I know the the recent controversy with him, but I do think that. But there were people. Who, who actually were saying that. I mean, I had a lot of Israelis who were following me while I was covering LeBron up in Cleveland who were like, oh, he just hates, you know, Israel. No, he doesn't. It's just, it's an experience thing, okay? And so I do think that it matters to a degree. And I think, I think it will be welcomed by a lot of the players on this roster. And in the same way that what we're seeing happen at University of Miami right now, right? Where Manny Diaz is one of the guys, right? Like what we, what did we see yesterday? Right. He basically had a bonfire. Okay. Okay. I mean, they basically had a bonfire. They, they, and they, then went to prime one twelve, and then went right. And they, they set fire to seven and six, right? Like, I mean, though, I mean, Manny and can Mark Richt relate on the level that Manny Diaz can relate to a lot of the, and most of those players aren't Hispanic, right? But they grew up yeah. in similar type circumstances or a similar area to Manny. They know, a certain type of struggle that Manny knows from where he came from as son of immigrants and everything else. So I, I do think, uh, Chris, I know we devote a lot of time to this, but I do think it matters. I think it's interesting. Uh, and I and I just want to start here. I commend Steve Ross for it. I do. And we've had our issues with Steve Ross, but I, I think this is a positive direction for the franchise. And and, uh, and and I think the Dolphins kind of stick out like, uh, you know, the opposite of a sore thumb compared to the rest of the NFL right now. We'll get back to our episode here in a second. But first, I want to tell you about another of the great sponsors of the Five Reasons Sports Network, and that is Berlitz Broward. You may be familiar with the Berlitz method 
of teaching languages. I can speak to it directly because about a year ago, my daughter was about three and a half years old. I put her in Berlitz Broward. This is over on Flamingo Road in Pembroke Pines because we wanted her to learn Mandarin. She already knows English and Spanish fluently, but kids have an easier time learning languages at times than adults do. So we figured that she might enjoy it. Not only does she now enjoy it, she now counts up to 100. She knows all the colors and shapes. When we go to Chinese restaurants, she speaks Mandarin with the waitresses she orders for us. Sometimes not the greatest, but it's pretty amusing to actually watch it. But the other thing that Berlitz does for you is they have adult programs. And so that's actually what we want to introduce you to today. Their adult programs, they teach languages English, French, Spanish, Mandarin, Italian, German, Portuguese, and more. So if you ever wanted to learn any of those languages, or maybe English is not your first language and you want to learn how to pronounce better and be better in the business space, that's something that they can work with you on. So I'm going to give you a phone number here. Make sure that you call and mention five reasons. Here is the phone number, 954-743-0077. So again, they have kids programs, but they got plenty of adult programs. And I can tell you because we've been doing it, they will work with your schedule. Whatever works with you, in terms of when you have to work, when you've got things with your family, they will put you on the schedule and they will get you the right instructor. So again, mention five reasons, 954-743-0077. Tuesday, January 15th, Miami Heat Beat is hosting another watch party poolside at Duffy's in North Miami. Come out and watch with us as the Miami Heat take on the Milwaukee Bucks at 8 p.m. There's going to be games, drink specials, and you'll even have a chance to win Heat Beat's newly released Justice Better t-shirt. Plus, someday, you'll be able to tell your grandkids that you were there when Five Reasons finally broke their watch party curse. Okay, fine. I'm not making any promises, but we're 0-8 right now in this f***ing losing streak's gotta end at some point, right? So come on down and hang out with some of your favorite Heat Beat personalities, as well as other members of 5 Reason Sports. That's Tuesday, January 15th, poolside at Duffy's, 3969 Northeast 163rd Street, North Miami Beach. Tip-off is at 8 p.m., For me, it's just the fact that, and, and you mentioned that chain, right? So it starts with the white owner usually hiring the white executive, the white executive hiring the white coach. But it goes a little bit further than that, doesn't it? Because uh, obviously, the, so the white executive will also probably hire white guys in the front office you know, area. Um, and then the white coach will usually hire white assistants. So uh, one of the things that's happened is if you look at the pool of coordinators, which is in theory the place where you're finding your next head coach, there just aren't that many black coordinators, especially on the offensive side of the ball, which is why I was hoping that Eric Bieniemy would get a chance. You don't really see that. We talked about Mark Colombo being a, fa- you know, a, a failure of a former player. You don't really see that many former players involved in either the front office or the coaching setup. You don't, you don't really see that many guys that had prominent playing careers being in charge of organizations uh, in, on the front office side or as head coaches uh, because I guess for whatever reason now the league has kind of gone another direction and sort of more about the guys who are uh, the brain surgeons rather than the guys who underwent brain surgery, right? And so I, I do think there's that element of it where the playing side isn't really being given that much credence and I just think the league gets wider and wider and wider because you don't really see that many guys giving giving opportunities to former players or to black people generally at lower levels so that when you know the assistant GM is ready to become a GM that pool is usually white guys that were hired by white guys that were hired by white guys and so it really is about creating not just obviously the one guy in charge but a full network of minorities throughout organizations around the league and if the Dolphins are kind of going to be the hub of this I, I, I agree I think that it presents an advantage in some ways because obviously you know the athletes themselves are of a majority that are black and so I, I just think that the that the Dolphins being the organization that is not just sort of you know complying with the Rooney rule and hiring the guy and and interviewing the guys that they have to interview but are legitimately considering and like just even the idea that Steve Ross 
out of the morass of guys in his front office, out of the morass of guys uh, that he's been surrounded with in football for 10 years, has picked out Chris Greer as the guy that he's been most impressed with, I, I, I think speaks a lot uh, to Stephen Ross and what he's looking for because you mentioned that shared experience. I mean, there's 30 years of age and you know a race worth of difference between them, and yet uh, Steve Ross has continually given Chris Greer promotion. So I, I, I think in this aspect, I, I'm really liking where the Dolphins organization is going, but uh, the one drawback is what, for me, I find the second most interesting thing about what the Dolphins are doing is that the Dolphins might be trying to be bad next year. And right. uh, and I think it would be a concern if you're a black person who's, you know, who wants to see, you know, more minorities grow within football that a lot of the people in this Dolphins organization uh, might be stuck with a 3-13 and 13 on their resume next year because uh, there was a story that came out from Adam Schefter in ESPN. And frankly, it came out of the mouth of Stephen Ross that, you know, hey, I, I said to Adam Gase, you know, I'm thinking about this. And he said, no, I want to win now. Clearly, the intimation is Stephen Ross is not thinking about winning now. He's thinking about uh, finally stopping the cycle of, well, we'll just fix our roster for next year. We're so, we'll, we'll, solve our, we'll solve our holes at defensive end and offensive guard, and we'll have a, we'll have a playoff caliber team. No, he's thinking far bigger and saying, we're going to let Ryan Tannehill go, and we need to figure out the quarterback position one way or another. And if that means that we have to go 2-14 and 14 next year, as the Arizona Cardinals did this year, uh, go 3-13 mm-hmm. and 13 and, and finish with a record that's that bad and finish at the bottom of the league so you can draft 2 a tongue of Iloa, Jake Fromm, Justin Herbert that are all that are all likely going to be available next year, then that's what we have to do. And I just kind of find fascinating how you fill everything out from there. Because as you mentioned, there was this philosophical debate, and I've had it before uh, when it relates to the NBA, where people get mad at me and say, Oh, so you just want the you just want the coaches and the players to lose every game and try to lose? That's not how tanking works. Tanking works is uh, a guy has an ankle sprain and he misses 10 weeks because of, uh, because of it. Uh, you intentionally are playing rookies and second-year players, some of them undrafted, a disproportionate number of the minutes and snaps so that obviously they put you in a better position to lose than if you you know put a seven or eight year veteran who's been really good in the league over the last few years you lower your payroll you do all these things so that you are intentionally losing on purpose so what do you make of the idea one of the of the Dolphins potentially going to this maybe not even trying to solve their quarterback position and maybe drafting a guy in the fourth round or bringing Luke Falk back to have him be your starter next year and going forward with a losing strategy and the fact that that stink is going to be on the names and resumes of all these people that are that are currently being hired to this Dolphins organization and the fact that realistically most owners have not really had the stomach to really go through with it even mm-hmm. the Cleveland Browns uh, they had a strategy that's worked for them in my opinion and Sashi Brown and everyone there got fired because the owner didn't have the stomach to go 0 and 16 the Sixers didn't have the stomach and the league didn't have the stomach to really do it for three years which is what Sam Hankey ended up doing realistically these tanking strategies have have not really been seen through by the people who started them because in in the end the losing is just too much do you think that the Dolphins potentially going down this route is going to work and potentially see everyone here fired before before they can actually see through the strategy. Well, the second part I'll get to in a second. Uh, on the first part of whether it will work, I, I, again, try to draw the distinction between the NBA and the NFL. I, I just I, To me, in the NBA, there's a much clearer straight line to tanking. Okay, And even though you have a lottery in the NBA and you don't in the NFL, and so you would think it would be a clearer line in the NFL, it's just – Look, unless you get the quarterback, and the quarterback in the in the NFL is probably going to take three, four years to really develop. I mean, there aren't a lot of Mahomeses, right? That sort of, you know, just shoot out. And again, even he waited behind Alex Smith uh, for a bit. And was but, the tenth pick in the draft. And was a tenth pick. So it it, it look it's tough uh, in the NFL to decide to tank and and then do it effectively. I mean, a lot of here a lot of the ways that you mentioned that you can tank. Okay. One, you play a lot of kids. Well, the problem with playing a lot of kids is they're going to play hard. They're going to play hard. Like, I mean, a lot of times your practice squad guys, you throw them on the field and you're going to get something you don't expect. Um, You know, I mean, we've also seen over the years, like we mentioned, what are they going to do with the quarterback position? Okay. I know it's lightning in a bottle, but I mean, the, you know, the then St. Louis Rams could have been tanking when they threw Kurt Warner in at quarterback after he was stocking, you know, shelves in, you know, at, at a at a high C in or whatever it's high V in uh, in in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. OK, and then all, all of a sudden he's on the Hall of Fame. Like it's just there's so many variables uh, in the NFL that like they Steve Ross can have a strategy. 
I don't think he's really talking about tanking. I think he's talking about not patching anymore. Like I, that, th those are two different things. The Tannenbaum philosophy was patch, right? Like, uh, okay, it, at first it was go after the the big big name, and then you know you decide the big name you're going after is a defensive tackle of all things. Okay, who's who's not going to impact the game enough to make a huge difference, and even if he's really good, which Nzamakinsu was, but it didn't matter, and he wasn't a leader either. And so with all of that together, it just was not a smart signing. Um, but then after that, it was patch. We need this. We're going to try to find a guard. Let's go get, we'll go get Kilgore and we'll get sitting and we're going to fix the interior of the offensive line. Let's go, you know, we, we need a, you know, we need a safety, you know, Abdul Kadus, you know, gets, goes out. We're going to go get a McDonald. You know, they, they did this patching thing all the time. And I think what Ross is saying is I'm not going to throw money at that anymore. Like, uh, what is the point? Like to, the difference between six and 10 and eight and eight. I mean, who cares? Okay. So I think what he's saying is, you know, we're not going to intentionally losing. I think the losing is going to happen on its own. OK, yeah, like uh, to a certain degree. But like, I don't think that they're going to have an organizational philosophy to try to lose. Now, that's different from what we've seen some NBA teams doing like Philadelphia in the NBA was trying to lose Phoenix for years has been trying to lose. I don't know that argue there's probably six teams in the NBA right now that are trying Atlanta to lose. Atlanta is trying to lose Chicago, the Chicago the Knicks yeah, yeah the heat just won't let the Hawks but I but the, I mean the Hawks are trying to lose but every time they play the heat they win um <laughs> but yeah you're, you're right there, there are five, I mean Cleveland right now yeah trying to lose right that Kevin Love is not coming back to that team this year right like they they benched I mean J.R. Smith ever. <laughs> right I mean right right I mean J.R. Smith you can say that he wouldn't have helped but I mean you know, they banished him. They decided they weren't playing. I mean, the Lakers for a couple of years, like you know, Luol Deng and Mozgov, we paid them all this money. Sit down. We're not playing. Like that. That's a I don't in the NFL. You can't really do that. Like you need everybody who's on your 53 to play. OK, so I understand what you're saying about you may shut a guy down for longer. OK, I mean, the Dolphins had so many guys on IR this year. I don't know how it could be worse. So I, I just I think we have to separate what tanking looks like in the NFL from what it looks like in the NBA. I just think Ross is saying from a big picture philosophy, I'm tired of going between six and 10 and 10 and six every year. It's not exciting to our fans. It's not getting us anywhere. I don't want to plug a hole with this guy and try to get you excited about some slightly above average player. Okay. That we're going to plug a hole with for a year or two, and then we're going to get rid of. And I agree with him on that. I agree with him. Now, as far as quarterback, this idea of waiting for 2020, we've talked about that. They picked the wrong year to not get a quarterback. They should have gotten one last year. I think Ross acknowledges that now. He knows now. He's been informed by enough people, I'm sure, that 19 is not as good a draft as 20, that free agency in 19 is not strong, unless, okay, somebody squirts free that we're not expecting. But I don't think we should draw conclusions now that they're not going to get a quarterback this offseason. I think if Philadelphia came to you and said, we're going forward with Nick Foles, okay? We're going forward with Nick Foles. That's what our fans want. He led us back, okay? I mean, if Jeffrey doesn't drop the ball yesterday, who knows? They might be in the, in the NFC Championship game again, okay? In what was a down year for them compared to the previous year. We're going to trade Carson Wentz. I mean, if you're the Dolphins, you have to look at that, right? You don't just say we're, we're not going to do anything for 2020. Carson Wentz was getting MVP consideration before he got hurt a year ago. Like, you have to look at that, right? If David Carr, and no, a David Carr, sorry, when David Carr becomes available, <laughs> he does. If, if, if Derek Carr becomes available for a cheap price because Grubin's just trying to move on, you have to look at it, right? Like, uh, you know, if uh, now Foles, I know Dave Hyde had a column about Foles. I don't necessarily see Foles to me doesn't make sense. Okay. Wentz makes sense. Foles doesn't make sense. Foles because you have to spend a lot of money. Well, you have to spend a lot of money, but it's also a patch. I mean, that's a two year yeah. patch, right? Yeah. Like Wentz is a guy, like if you got Wentz, you, I mean, you could Just, sell that to your for, fan. For, for me, the thing that I, and I, and I agree with the 2020 strategy, or even if you really like someone in this draft, obviously CK is in love with Kyler Murray and the negotiations between Kyler Murray and Oakland continue about whether or not he might end up playing baseball in the end. But for me, the reason why I like the 2020 strategy is, number one, I, I just love those players. Like, I, for me, if, if you get Tua, like, that changes everything. Like, I think as much as he didn't have a good national championship, it just changes everything to have a player that's that good. I still believe in him to that degree that I think he is franchise-changing. And then 
the reason why I would rather draft a guy is because you get him for four years at a cut rate. And I just think yeah. that's, I just think that's how teams are going to win in the NFL now. Like, I just don't think as much as I think Carson Wentz was really good in his second year and it was going to take him a while to recover from an ACL injury. I like, I th- I'm now just uh, operating under the assumption that anyone coming off an ACL, it's going to take 18 months. Like unless you're Adrian Peterson, just a complete physical freak. But like, so Carson Wentz is, is entering year four next year. And then you're going to have to pay him a ton of money. As good as he was in his second year, I just don't think he is the caliber of quarterback to where if you are paying him a ton of money, that your team can also be good. Like, I really think now this league is about four-year windows of guys on their rookie deals, as Jared Goff is right now for the Rams. Like, unless we're talking in the class of Drew Brees and mm-hmm. uh, and Tom Brady, like, I just think if you're paying $25 million, it's going to be really hard to build the team that you want to build around your quarterback. So, like, for me, from a club control standpoint, from a, from a salary standpoint to what you can then do with your roster like I just think 2020 is the way to go and if you're a Dolphins fan you've watched bad football for 15 years what's one more year so that you can get this guy uh, that being Tua Tagovailoa with the number one pick in the draft or if you end up at three and have to trade up to one or whatever like just being in that conversation in a year in which it's a good year to be in that conversation the Dolphins I mean when's the last time that happened for them I mean obviously you know they passed on Aaron Rodgers when they had the Ronnie Brown pick they passed on Matt Ryan when they had the Jake Long pick but I I don't think those were as obvious uh, now as they were then. I think being in an obvious draft, you're getting the number one guy where if you're Cleveland, you feel like your organization turned around. If you're um, in all, all these different teams that have gotten their picks with number one overall, you feel like it's franchise changing. I want the Dolphins to do that. And I think if it, if it takes a 2-14 and 14 or a 3-13, and 13, I'm all for it. We'll get more into this as the week goes on. Also, we're going to have an episode with David Thorpe. You know him as Coach Thorpe. On Twitter is with ESPN for a while. We're going to break. We're just going to spend a lot of time breaking down Justice Winslow. I I think that's what people want to talk about. We'll get into some other NBA issues, too, but uh, that should be fun. We'll have more on Brian Brian Flores as we go forward. Also, talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Fire in the Podcast. Thank you so much. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.